the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Well, today, as we know, during this time of crisis, we have come here to hunker down in our center, in our chapel, in our house. We give thanks to God that we do have the Blessed Sacrament, that we have you here, our Lord, to whom we can speak intimately with on intimate terms. And of course, inevitably, we will try to arrange things as best as we can. And uh, we end up seeing how many of the activities we normally do are indeed secondary and don't have really all the same relevance that we would have imagined. When people are cooped up in their homes, they can, they can actually come closer to each other. They can come to understand each other in a new way and truly end up growing on the inside like our founder did when he was in the legation of Honduras during the civil war in Spain in 1937. Don Alvaro said this a number of times, but they were four four people with our founder and he said it for him it meant a breakthrough in the interior life because they had lived so closely to our founder. When he arrived there he arrived with uh, Jose Maria Gonzalez Paredo who was a doctor, Juan Jimenez Vargas who was I think also a medical doctor or an engineer it was Jose Maria Eduardo Elastrui and with Jose Maria's uh, brother, Santiago. And they all arrived on March 13th, 1937, in this, what we call, the legation of Honduras. It wasn't, properly speaking, a legation. It was the seat of a diplomatic mission. It, it, let's say it was just a, really just a consular office. And uh, we know it was the home of uh, a fellow by the name of Don Pedro Jaime de Matoy, who was a Salvadoran uh, diplomat who simply acted as the honorary consul general of the Republic of uh, Honduras. And he offered them this, this what we would call second-class protection. And uh, they welcomed this protection in the hopes that, well, that they would be evacuated from the capital within a few, a few days, really, in a, at least a very short time. At that time, it's estimated that there were probably something like 13,000 refugees in Madrid at that time, but they were all scattered in the different embassies and uh, other, you know, attached buildings. 
And of course, we know the evacuation didn't happen. And they had no passes, they could not move around freely lest they be shot. So, Saint Josemaria, our father, spent five and a half months locked up there together with Don Alvaro and those others. In fact, Don Alvaro was there longer, he was there uh, 16 months. And he recounted on his 75th birthday, he said, we stayed with our father in a small room and remained there all day, day after day. During that period, I, I saw our father immersed in God, serene, full of peace and confidence, knowing that the Lord does not lose battles. At the same time, he had, he had put his life in God's hands. And I saw him suffer, yet, he said, I saw him suffer joyfully. I saw him joyful. Now, what, what kind of house was this that they were in? Well, they were in a, a not a bad house, really. It was a house that could be seen along the Paseo de la Castellana, you know, where there were like elegant houses and, and you know, diplomatic seas and stuff. Uh, it was a fairly spacious house for one single family. But there were hundreds of refugees in that, that let's say, normal house. It would have been a normal house or a nice house for a, uh, a good-sized family. Well, there were hundreds of people. They were all cramped into this, into this uh, what they call the legation. There were no beds, but they did manage to get some mattresses that they would spread out on the, on the tiled floor there. There was one single bathroom in the hallway that they were in and there were scheduled assignments when you could use the toilet and, and um, they, the room that they were in probably in the past had been used as a kind of a coal bunker and they had very thin mattresses which they would roll up during the day and they would be able to sit on those and uh, they had a very narrow window that would look into the inner patio which looked quite gloomy and they had a one single light bulb that was hanging you could say you know, just hanging from a wire there, no, you know, nothing else. And we see, we get some idea of this from some of the well-preserved pencil drawings that Don Alvaro himself made in, 19, in June of 1937, where we see a little bit the layout, and we even see, get some idea of the little, little altar that uh, our father prepared. And also we know that they had food shortages. Uh, they'd get a little bit of food twice a day. And Don Alvaro explained that the food was, the, he said it was a, a dish of locust beans. I don't exactly know what that is, but it's, uh, it, it was something he said that was usually given to animals. So it wasn't exactly uh, very tasty, but, but he said it was soggy and they would joke that it was nevertheless full of protein because it was mixed with Mixed with the beans were these bugs of different colors, red and, and black. So, so um, you know, that's why in those photos from that period we see uh, our founder having lost so much weight, eh, that he looks so thin. Eh? And, and of course his, mo his mother didn't even recognize him when she saw him. Eh? That's why he got so thin. And the others as well, of course. And so 
there's these hundred refugees and they have in this little room their own little room there and of, of all those refugees I mean, you could sense the tone, you could sense the atmosphere, there was a lack of motivation, they had no idea whether or not they would be evacuated. Uh, you could say their own discouragement had sapped their energies. And uh, one of the results of that uh, was there was just this deep apathy, like, who cares, whatever. You know? that, that was, you could say, the general tone of this house, which they could they could go out into the hallways and they would talk with people, and sometimes things got a bit tense, and and um, and the, you know they didn't even the people didn't even have the strength to to kill time, you know, to kill time, uh, and uh, it seemed as though time was going by super slowly, and it it just gave way to boredom, sense of emptiness in many of those people. But in that tiny room where Saint Josemaria was with Don Alvaro, with uh, Santiago, the brother of uh, our father, and uh, Juan Jiménez Vargas, and Jose Maria González Paredo, in, in that little small room, everything was different. Eh? I mean, those who were accompanying our founder in those days saw this as a moment of special intensity of special fidelity to what they had committed to with the founder. Mm -hmm. They really saw this as an occasion of, of fidelity to the vocation that God had given them. Mm -hmm. And so our father set up really heroically a rhythm of human, you could say human and spiritual uh, normalcy, you could say, mm -hmm. to all these guys that were forced there into this confinement. And, uh, and for the others, that confinement was an occasion of distress. But for St. Jose Maria and those with him, it was an, you could say they tried to live as normal as they could. And Bishop Alvaro recounts in his own memoirs, he says, despite the situation, we were living in a, an atmosphere of serenity, of supernatural sense, and joy. I remember sometimes my sister Tere was asked to sing them some Mexican songs quite famous at the time, and often the father would sing along with everyone. This sister, this was the sister of uh, Alvaro, her name was Tere or, or Teresa, and he had two, two siblings, Carlo and Tere, and they were staying in the Mexican um, legation or the Mexican consulate, and they were little kids. I mean, I don't know how, they were 10 or 12 years old or something like that, and so they, they did not, uh, you could say, did not give rise to any suspicions because they were little kids, but they would uh, hide little notes inside their shoes and little communications would be uh, transmitted to them, and they would go and make visits to Don Alvaro and the others in that little room. And uh, Teresa, she says they were always enjoyable and amusing. And our father did everything possible to entertain us, he, she said. And for example, he organized races with the cockroaches going up the, the pipes. <laughs> races with the cockroaches going up the pipes. So he said, okay, let's do the races. Let's see who wins. Let's see if the red one wins or the black one wins. So they would have red cockroaches and black cockroaches, right? 
And so, of course, there were cockroaches. It wasn't exactly the cleanest place in the world. And, of course, he would encourage them to sing. And that's, that's why, in somewhere, that's where Don Alvaro enjoyed singing and certainly Mexican songs. Of course, his mother was a Mexican and, and he had a great affection for Mexican songs. But that presence of our father, you could say, his supernatural faith, his optimism, his good humor, it just transformed that place into a haven uh, of peace, hmm? a haven of serenity. Hmm? And that's what we have to do. That we have to think of this as our responsibility. Hmm? And the example that Don Alvaro experienced there was an occasion really for him to deepen in his life of prayer and ultimately to, to really practice the spirit of, of Opus Dei, which was, even though they were cooped up in that place, he somehow learned more deeply the spirit of Opus Dei uh, in, in a more, you could say, more intense way, such that he was entrusted with the task of being the, the successor years later. And that was there ultimately because you could say, St. Maria transmitted to them a deep sense of mission. We have a mission here. A sense that we have to be faithful to something. We're not just here protecting ourselves. We're not just here making sure we enjoy ourselves. And that's why he urged them to have a demanding plan of life. It meant, it meant making good use of time, of studying, and, you know, early in the morning when the other refugees had already uh, not yet woken up, uh, he preached a meditation to them. So it was early. He could have, let's say, let's do it way later. And, no, early meditation. And that confinement, each, each one with their special jobs, he always, as we know that famous phrase, he exhorted them to grow on the inside. We have to now, too, grow on the inside. What about me? We can ask ourselves that. Am I growing on the inside? I know you're not having a chance to go out much. You don't have the regular, you have some work, I suppose, you're, because you're taking care of the residents and the, and the laundry and all the regular. And from what I can see, most of it is regular, but the girls are not coming here. And, and so, but regardless, am I growing on the inside? What way am I really growing? inside, in my soul, in my heart, in my mind, in my thoughts. We can't wait until the circumstances are, are perfect for us to grow. When our health is ideal, when we have the right amount of time, the right amount of circumstances, you know, we can't just wait for the right amount of bandwidth for everything to go well for us. So we can do our things. It's a good thing that in those circumstances, the, the people living with our father actually took note of his meditations, which, of course, underlines the sense of uh, importance that they had for his words. And I think they each would take notes and, and then they would compare their notes and fill out what one guy had written and the other guy. So they would kind of make a kind of a resume, basically, of the, of the meditations that he preached in the morning. So, I mean, they're not recorded or they're not, you know, in that sense, they're, they're not 100% accurate, but, but, you know, whatever, however accurate it is to, to write down what somebody preaches. And, uh, 
Bishop Alvaro, Don Alvaro, writes, or he took note of one of his meditations, of St. Josemaria's meditations, where our father said, maybe there comes to mind, to our mind, the idea that using the talents we have received from God always implies activity, movement. Always implies activity and movement, you know, doing things, boom, 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 boom. He said, and now my life is so monotonous. How do I get the fruits of the gifts of God in this forced break, in this darkness where I find myself? Do not forget you can be like the snow-capped volcanoes whose ice outside starkly, starkly contrasts with the fire that devours its entrails. Outside, yes, you can be covered with the ice of monotony, of darkness. Externally, you'll look all bundled up. But inside, inside the fire will not cease to keep you burning. Nor will you, nor will you get tired of compensating the lack of external actions with an intense inner activity. Thinking about me and all your brothers, how fruitful our inactivity will turn out to be. From this work of ours, so poor in appearance, will arise through the centuries a wonderful building, he said. That's, that's what Don Alvaro took note of. The snow-capped mountains. They look beautiful perhaps in the distance, but they, they just look kind of distant and cold. But underneath, especially if they're a, a, uh, they are a vol volcano, there's, there's, a, there's activity, there's deep, there's deep sort of boiling activity underneath. And of course, after our father preached the meditation, well, then he would celebrate Mass. He would hang a crucifix up, up on the wall. He would unfold a corporal on a suitcase. And even Don Alvaro drew this kind of makeshift altar. And, and then later they would even take the unconsumed host, the sacred species, and they would keep them in a kind of a note case of some kind, like a, I would imagine kind of like a, like almost like a cigarette case. And you could say each day somebody uh, would take turns to keep it and they would be able to give, uh, give it to, give communion to the others. Mm -hmm. And, but in particular, this was the task of Isidoro Sorsano, who was, as you know, uh, he had Argentinian uh, citizenship, so he had a special pass and stuff, and he had like a armband that, showed that, you know, they couldn't really stop him. And, um, and the, the, the owners of that house were so impressed, you could say, with our father's stay and the, and the, you know, the heightened tone of warmth and kindness that, you know, emanated from that room, that th when our father died in 1975, they the family that was you know, owners of this legation gave the chalice, it was, it was an ordinary cup, 
but they gave that to Don Alvaro when our father died as a, as a gift to the work. Because hmm? I'm not sure exactly what kind of cup it was, if it was an ordinary cup of some kind or a, a glass hmm? that they used as the chalice. And um, Donovo was, was truly mesmerized by our father's prayer, his mortification. He saw, I mean, he saw clearly that our father was not just praying. He was mortifying himself in those circumstances. He said, in these circumstances, anyone, even those very generous in the service of God, would have thought that the constant danger of death, discomfort, hunger, was enough penance to offer the Lord. For anyone, even the very mortified, all that would have been enough. But the love of our Father was more demanding. It needed to make amends, to make reparation. Of course, in a, in a constant context like that, that's the context of the war, and the fratricidal war as it was, there was, you know, there was lots of reasons to make reparation. Now, I mean, a virus like we're experiencing today, I mean, whose fault is that? Who knows? I don't know. It's not, uh, it's not the same, exact same thing. It's not the result of a war, right? But what's certainly a cause of reparation is those who, who are engineering scams to to siphon money out of people, make them buy fake medication or what have you, you know. And already the government has, has alerted people to this danger, you know. So there are people taking advantage. Well, that, that we have to make reparation for. Not get mad, just make re reparation. Hmm? But our father manifested, you could say, in those circumstances, an equanimity that was deeply rooted in a very well-anchored supernatural outlook of doing acts of service for others, of lavishing attention on others, all the while just, well, forgetting himself. He faced hunger, he faced cold. He did that all with genuine elegance and sincere joy. Elegance and joy. And he was content with the very little that he had, even despite the fact that there was such a, a shortage. And they're constantly talking about the different shortages there are in the food places and the stores and stuff. But and of course, he made the best use of time. And this is, this is what we have to do too. Just as though they were normal circumstances, it's, we have to use time differently, but we have to make good use of time. We know Don Alvaro learned Japanese because he cherished the dream of going to, going to Japan one day and preach the gospel there, the land of the, of the rising sun. He imagined that. Wouldn't that have been amazing, he thought? So he started to learn Japanese. Then he studied German. I mean, he was there a long time, so he had time. <laughs> And in fact, he said he came to memorize all the words in the German uh, dictionary that he had. He said there are 30,000 words in the German, Spanish German dictionary. And, and he, he said, um, you know, our father urged me to memorize all those words. And there was that, that inherent dream that they kept alive there. It was not the dream of self-preservation or just getting through this uh, 
Uh, it was the dream of holding on to a treasure, a living treasure that had to be, it wasn't just like an idea, like a dry book. It was the living treasure, you could say, of living the spirit of the work and there, thereby transmitting it to others. You could say in many ways, if, if, the, if the Civil War and, and the Honduras legation had not happened, maybe that deepening of the spirit of the work would, well, it would not have been so deeply anchored in those uh, brothers of ours who were there at, the, at that time, certainly in our father, Don Alvaro, Jorge Jimenez Vargas, and all those. They, they came to sort of, it, it came to really sink in deeply. Because we know that God has established a covenant with us. He establishes covenant with men. And a covenant is a specific way in which he deals with us. And he assigns fixed laws to other creatures. They, he, he assigns the sea its limits, the waters so do not transgress its commands, and animals act in a certain way because he's established laws with animals. Mm -hmm. But man, he lives, leaves him free. Mm -hmm. And he makes covenants with man. He made it a covenant with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham. You know, he said to Abraham, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between you, me, and you. And then he established it on Mount Sinai, and then it was eventually continued with King David. Of course, a covenant, of course, commits both parties to fidelity. God is faithful to his promises to us, to his promises to give you a an effective vocation, and we, we have to commit to be faithful to living out that vocation in our daily life, in a unity of life. We, that's why we say, God is the God of faithfulness, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And we certainly saw that with people like uh, Don Alvaro. So let's ask for his intercession that we too, in this time, can learn the true value of faithfulness in this time. And we ask our Blessed Mother, who, who received that, that divine vocation from the angel, and she'll intercede for us as well. So that I be faithful in this time of isolation, and I pray with the communion of saints, so that we all grow on the inside. Thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.